0: Brought to you by the Rugby Outlet Mall, equipping you for freedom and connection through rugby. Find out more at rugbyoutletmall.com. Oh, so what's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time Baylu. This is the podcast where we talk with people about the opportunities that they have found, experienced, launched, and subsequently engaged with via rugby. We have a great guest, and actually, to be honest with you, this is a bit of a throwback. So we've had a bunch of interviews that uh, you know got released before but maybe didn't get as much catch, and uh, I think this is as good a time as any to be able to put them because these were great. Uh, I got this great one by – I've used the word great I literally three times already. I just realized that. But I have this great interview uh, by Jackie Finland. This was about three years ago, so I'm not going to lie. It's old, but it's not aged. Uh, and if you don't know who Jackie Finlan is, Jackie Finlan is the editor-in-chief, the founder, the legend of the Rugby Breakdown. She was an incredible story, uh, just hearing it from top to bottom. I don't know if there's that many interviews that actually involve Jackie, and I thought it was a real honor to be able to get her and to be able to talk with her at, this time, at that time. And uh, I think it's important to be able to see it because it not only lets you know about... The people that are doing the work and that completely interact uh, with how we view the sport today. But it's also to get good to know that they are people behind the scenes as well, too. And um, and they all have their own stories. And they found a way to try and make this path. Right now, you can find her stuff on therugbybreakdown.com or you can find her on Facebook at The Rugby Breakdown. And... Uh, Honestly, great stuff following women, girls and women's rugby uh, of all ages and all levels. And when you talk about in-depth coverage, she is getting the depth. That is the reliable source to go to for all this. So uh, I hope you guys really enjoy this. Please Hey, thank you to the people who have left reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. It really means the most. Guys, we're trying to get this up. I want to see if we can get 10 reviews before the end of the month. We're at three so far, all right? Three. So all I need is a seven before the end of the month. So if you guys could please leave a review, good or bad, make it one star, make it five star. I am so narcissistic that I just want to be able to see that there is attention. And it also lets me be able to know Uh, exactly what it is that you guys are liking and don't like and what we can start to add and implement into this. We're almost at 20 episodes. It made a big deal for myself to be able to get to 20 episodes, and we got some great guests that are coming up along the way. So to be able to reach 20 episodes, that's essentially almost 20 weeks of of, uh, work. Now, I think early on, I think I did two a week. So it might be closer to like 18 weeks when it all comes down to it. But, um, still means the most. I'm so happy for everyone who listens, everyone who's gotten to check it out. And, um, you know, it really, it, I, I truly, truly appreciate it. Of course, we got a sponsor still, the Rugby Outlet Mall. Definitely check it out. We got, throughout our first set of orders for shirts. Really felt good. I really appreciate those that actually put, uh, uh made some orders for the HBC Rugby Classic shirts. Um, like it's it it means like it felt really good being able to put that inside the 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 post office. 100% wasn't sure if I would put the right uh, packaging amount right initially, but it seems like everything was good and they should be able to get theirs in the next couple weeks. But in the next couple weeks, in the next couple days. So, it really felt it was good to be able to do that. So, uh, definitely check out the merch. And, of course, the thing that I always like to reference on is the access and the categorization of movies that are available. Uh, From movies like The Nomad uh, to anime shows that are available uh, that you can find. And, you know, a lot of people always wonder where you can find these movies and stuff. Well, hey, here's an orchestration of Pretty solid movies uh, within Rugby that you can check out. And uh, uh, within that Rugby movie scape, please check out our documentary, Singapore to Tokyo, any way we can. It's streaming live now on video on demand. You can find it at uh, redearthfilms.vhx.tv. Uh, great documentary. Seven episodes uh 20 minutes per episode. It is going to be legitimately worth the watch for you. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it deeply and uh, and definitely a great family uh, affair. Gets you a chance to be able to remember what it is to travel and uh, what it was like to be able to be around people on a regular basis without the worry of a contamination or hospitals filling up or plausible death coming up on the other side of it. So... Uh, definitely is worth being able to check out and enjoy and, and see. So, um, Also, just wanted to throw a couple little news things out there before we move on to the interview. One, congratulations to Hawaii as they are getting ready to put in for uh, a registration for an MLR team, making it the first ever professional team, period, to be solidified in Hawaii, I can't wait to hear more about what they're going to end up having to get done. Um, I can't remember their name off the top of their head. It starts with a K. I know it is a Hawaiian name, um, but I'm not going to try and butcher it because I respect them too much. And well, it'll, I'll really butcher it if I don't if I don't if if, if I try and say it right now. But big congrats because that's that's huge. And of course, even within all this, kat- this. Chaos that's occurring. It's nice to see people still trying to make moves during this time. And then the other thing is a shout out to my guy Grant Cole and Paul Emmerich uh, for being able to implement Rugby HTX, which is the academy team that will be in association with the Houston Sabercats. So it looks like they're bringing that program back again. And we're talking about two really dedicated coaches, Paul Emmerich. Uh, is a former USA rugby. He is so notable for being part of the USA rugby promo where he, you know, gives a salute. I think this was during uh, Rugby World Cup 20, 20, 2007, if I remember. But a, a great shot and a really great guy, really knowledgeable guy. And then Grant Cole, who I consider one of the most connected people in rugby, uh, former media guy and consummate. Rugby evangelist and self-proclaimed rugby evangelist as well, too. Um, So uh, they'll be running the show on that one. So definitely go congrats to them and uh, check it out. And if you have the intent or potential of wanting to be part of the MLR, they're a good way to be able to go about that. So uh, just wanted to let them know, let it be known, let it go what's going on. But anyways, without further ado, let's get in. Jackie Finlan of the Rugby rugby, 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 Breakdown. For being able to take the time to do this, I I, I know you're ridiculously busy, so I I do appreciate it big time.
1: No, no problem at all. This is actually my first um, interview or podcast, so
0: look you know get get a chance to all, all this time you've been on the other side it, it's nice to be able to flip to the uh, to the other side of the interview table every once in a while. yeah, we'll
1: see how it goes. <laughs> I might have a different opinion
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well you know I, I hopefully hopefully it, it'll go good I feel good about it I feel good <laughs> So you know just just kind of you know starting off like what what got you started playing uh, what got you started in rugby?
1: Um, I transferred schools and I, I used to play softball and then I transferred to the number one softball team in the country. So I needed to find a new sport (laughs) and that was (laughs) rugby. Uh, so that was at Arizona and then it was, you know, everybody's story. They touch a ball, they make a tackle and then they fall in love for life. So,
0: (laughs) I mean, was it, so uh, were you originally at Arizona, you, you went to university of Arizona or Arizona state?
1: So I transferred from the Coast Guard Academy, mm-hmm. and then I went to the University of Arizona. Oh,
0: nice! Yep. And so, what what was that that process like? So, was it just like you know, I've gone. I'm now part of this like top softball team. I'm not getting on the field very much. Oh, look, all of a sudden, rugby or what? What was it? What was the transition?
1: Oh, I didn't even try out for the softball team because my old coach. I was like, oh, what do you think my chances are? She said, well, you might be a pitch, pinch runner. So I was like, all right. I, so I didn't even try out for the Arizona team. I just immediately looked for another team sport that I could make friends with. And um, the Coast Guard Academy women's rugby team had just started. So it was just I had just become aware of the sport. So that was top of the list.
0: Oh, that's so that's good. At least there, there was already a, a very... At least there, there was awareness that you had going into it, um, so that it, it kind of helped the transition. Now, uh, obviously, playing sports in in college, you know, does did you have a did, does your family have a background in athletics, or was it just you know you happen to be the athletic one that broke through? Uh,
1: no, we all played sports. My brother, um, through the javelin at Bucknell, uh, we all played sports. Growing up, so it was nothing new for any of us to be playing in college.
0: And where were you originally from?
1: I'm from South Jersey, so we associate with Philadelphia in terms of sports teams. It, you
0: guys, you guys, you guys are pretty rough out there. That, that's awesome.
1: And, <laughs> back then in the early '90s, you know, the Phillies were a really fun team to to rally behind. So. I loved
0: it. <laughs> so you know, being being in that area, you know, we we always get this. For me, you know, I I my my origination is from like Pennsylvania, so I get like the the whole central Pennsylvania kind of slow college town. I'm a college brat, but you know, whenever I always got the impression of South Jersey. I think the only time I had it was a friend of mine who moved over and that Philly area. You know, you you get either Will Smith, obviously off the top of my head, even though that's a little bit more Philly than Jersey. But then it is it is kind of this uh, gritty kind of um, uh, industrial kind of area. Is that accurate? Was, was that kind of the environment that was there? Or?
1: No, I mean, I think that's probably something more of a North Jersey classification. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Jersey is the garden state, and that pretty much comes from the southern part of the state. So, you know, there's a lot of farms, a lot of rural. Right. Um, had too much grit where I was from.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So you know, you you. So what got you? So you enlisted coming out of high school into the Coast Guard.
1: Oh, so it's um the academy. So it's like you know the Naval Academy, the West Point. Um, mm-hmm. So you're not enlisting. You're going to college for four years, and then when you graduate, you, can you don't enlist. go
0: enlist. Yeah, but I
1: only <laughs>
0: lasted
1: two years. <laughs>
0: I was gonna say it was was military background uh, like a point of the family or was there was it just I mean what, what how come the Coast Guard I guess for you?
1: Uh, well, my dad he was in the Marines and I wanted to be an FBI agent growing up, and so he recommended some military background and the Coast Guard is the most female friendly in terms of ratio, right? And I like the water, so it kind of seems like a good fit, but yeah, it just turned out
0: it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> it just didn't work and that's but that's part of the in that part of the process of growing up like you you slowly get to learn what works and doesn't work for you and uh you know you, you're able to kind of piece these things together um so whenever you got to arizona you 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 know you didn't end up trying out for the softball team and you found a rugby team you know what was that initial experience like for you
1: Well, right off the bat, you know, being, like, on the other side of the country, like, you're just thinking about friends. Obviously, I was looking to be active, but you just want friends, and, I mean, the rugby community is just so welcoming. Right off the bat, it's like, I mean, I feel like I have a a pretty similar story to most people who start playing in college. You know, you just find a bunch of like-minded people, a bunch of friends, um, and then a sport in which you get to do something totally unique for women. Um, so I mean, it really was like love at first sight type of thing.
0: Was there anybody that was kind of mentoring your pathway uh, whenever you first got onto the team?
1: Well, the so the coach at the time was Nancy Purden, and she's just very slowly I got to see just how important she was to you know rugby in that area. Everywhere we went, somebody knew her. She she just she just knew everybody, and so. She was the first person that kind of took that environment of the team, like this happy little family that you have, and put it in a larger context.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Once I started getting, like, what a connected and, like, just bigger community it was, like, it really started. Like, it was something that I wanted to do, like, for my life. Yeah. Um, so, in that regard, definitely Nancy Purden. Um, yeah.
0: That's awesome. and And so... You 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 get this coach, and what was that first year like? Like how? Because I mean, look, we're we're even though it's all sports, and obviously there's a mentality that goes along with it. But you're going from softball, from you know, for what it's worth, a a a more rigid system that was in the Coast Guard. Um, You have an understanding for Arizona, but uh, but you know, you go to rugby, which you know, in the early nineties, isn't you know, is isn't the the. Tight knit organization of professionalism that you know we might be closer to have now. But what what was that first year like? Transitioning from softball, non-contact except for maybe a few hits here and there, to now I'm like I'm, I'm I got to hit people on the field. I'm I'm taking hits. I'm running with the ball. I'm doing so much.
1: Yeah, that was. I mean, we are talking about fifteen, seventeen years ago. I'm trying <laughs> to get back there. Um, <laughs> It was, you know, I grew up in a football family, so just being able to go from playing in the field with your family and your dad and your brothers and actually getting able to do it, like, that was just such a freeing, fun experience. And then, yeah, back then in that area, uh, it was less rigid in terms of, like, we played on a team that had maybe some questionable players on there in terms of age or eligibility, but everybody kind of did in, like, the California area, so you got to play with some really experienced people and just see a different side that maybe you wouldn't see, you wouldn't get to experience now in college, because it is more, you know, it's more popular, more regulated as it should be. Right. Um, So it was just, like, a really overwhelming, wonderful year, like, totally life-changing.
0: Yeah, and and was 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 it? Did you, what did you guys have success in that first year? Was it something that you were like, "Oh man, we're really winning and going," or was it just like, "Dude, I I love this this culture and it just keeps me going regardless of what what the results had been?"
1: Yeah, it was more. I think we you know we were like a five hundred club, um, if like we could hold our own, but I don't think we were. I don't think we won for any titles when I was playing. Um, I also can't remember if. Like D2 national championships were happening then I don't you know so there wasn't necessarily this national title to aim for yeah. Um, but yeah it was a little bit you know I guess more social oh my
0: God. what about the teams that you guys were in the area was it was it something that what was a uh, what was, uh, what, was the, what was the connection like because I, I you know here in the south you, you know we have our teams obviously spread out amongst a uh, radius of eight hours. Give or take. Uh, you know, so it's just everything's spread out and so you you know, if you're not willing to at least go a minimum of four hours to some place, you probably aren't gonna connect too many too much with teams. Now Arizona, I know the West Coast is a little bit tight on it, while you know, more spread it has a uh, more options available, but it, it's a lot clo- lot more close knit. Was was that the situation that you guys had for Arizona or did you guys have to travel a lot?
1: Yeah, I mean it's actually pretty similar to what is still the case there now, like, you have Arizona State and Arizona which are two hours apart, but then you play everybody you play is in California, so that's a minimum of six hours you go up to LA, that's eight what eight nine hours, so hopping in a van and you know, spending half your trip in a car was totally normal for us, which like, it later made me laugh when I was playing in New York and we'd have to drive down to Philly and the team would be like oh, like, so you go
0: <laughs> no i i i like uh my family lives up in south jersey too in morris plains area so i i remember uh when i'll drive around and i realized everything's a four hour radius around here in new york <laughs> and everything i was like this is great i don't have to go f- you know eight hours over to to tampa i don't have to go 11 hours up to carolina or eight hours to atlanta i was like this is amazing you know, yeah. but people would be like, Oh, this is such a long trip. I don't I don't <laughs> think they know, you know. Um, yeah. so you, you, you talk about how you, you played in New York. So what what was that transition? What was the next step after you started playing at Arizona? What what happened uh, from there that led you to New York?
1: Yeah, so I moved back home and then you know, I was trying to get my feet career wise. And once I got a job out on Long Island, I started playing for a new team out there, Suffolk Full Moose. Mm-hmm. And then I played a couple of years there until I got a job with Rugby Magazine in the city, and that necessitated a move to Hoboken. And that's when I lined with the Village Lions, which I would consider my home club. Like, yeah.
0: So you know, you you'd always been working on communications whenever you were in school, correct? What was the gravitation to to that field for you?
1: Uh, it was actually when I was in the Coast Guard, and we had um, our first one of our first English classes. The book that we were assigned was The Perfect Storm, and I was, I don't know if you remember that movie,
0: you know? Yeah, I was, yeah, of course, with George Clooney and everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: and I was like, I, I I was like really upset that this was the book that we were assigned, and I think that was the moment where I was. I realized, you know, this is, I don't belong in this science-heavy, you know, field of study. You know, that's when I realized I wanted to stay in, uh, like, liberal arts and English and so forth. So that's what I did in Arizona and, you know, started interning at book publishing companies and then just kind of really followed the jobs in New York
0: you know was was there always kind of this intent to be able to go back to new york to to work in that because i mean you're talking about east coast where obviously you you, you carry most of these major publications you're either going one or two directions going la or mm-hmm. you're going you know new york was there always an intent in that direction
1: yeah as soon as i realized that that was the field i wanted to pursue i knew i'd have to get to new york at some point mm-hmm. um, and it took a couple steps, but, yeah, that was the ultimate goal.
0: Yeah. And then, so you, you were able to, you, you go to Arizona, go back home. Um, so what, what was the attraction to being able to, what were you seeing in rugby that attracted you to wanting to start to professionally for, for rugby?
1: Well, that wasn't, I mean, that actually wasn't even on my radar. When I joined Suffolk, the women's team founder, Jenny Munster, wrote an article for rugby magazine like how to start a women's club mm-hmm. and that i was like there's a rugby magazine <laughs> and I immediately submitted my resume and was just like i will you give me two weeks notice i will quit my job and work for you kind of thing and it just so happened to align with their managing editor uh cycling out so it was really luck and so it was the matter of it was like probably a month of realizing the magazine existed uh submitting a resume and getting hired so
0: and this was two thousand five whenever you got hired for rugby mag, correct
1: yeah yeah,
0: so you know you you you're right at that pinnacle this is. We're about two years away from Rugby World Cup for '07. Uh, you know, you—it's kind of that like loose era of rugby, early 2000s, where it felt like things were starting to come together. You started to see the pieces. You know, from your perspective, what was? Did you what what was what was it that you felt was needed from rugby to help maybe take that next step?
1: Well. At that time, I, so my mentor was Ed Haggerty, and he, I mean, he obviously had a grip on what was happening in the U.S., and so I was still really just, like, learning as much as I possibly could, and obviously, you you keep doing that um, every day, so I don't know if at 2007, I really had an idea of what would launch rugby to the next, you know, the next stage, Mm -hmm. um. I still needed to. I had yet to go to my first, like, World Cup. I did to go to my first Women's World Cup. I think that's when it starts to, it starts to set in, like, what's different around the world. Like, I don't think I had any epiphanies at that point in my
0: career. Well, whenever you switch... So, you know, I'll, I'll use me for example. So switching from a player to a media person, I mean, there's the obvious concept of increasing your your perspective because now you have to focus on more but whenever I as a player it was very easy for me to be very insular I'm you know I play with my team love the guys I'm whenever we go into the games it's me versus the opponents we want to go kill the opponents we'll have fun but they're still the opponents you know you get to know them because you played with against them multiple times but it's still you know kind of this uh, very surface relationship that's that's within the competitive field um, but whenever I moved into as a media member it, it started realizing a lot more I started seeing a lot more of the connections that came with people especially with you know a lot of uh, what i'll call old heads that were had been playing for a while and you start to see kind of a lot more wise as to what was happening in rugby and in, in the general area. Whenever you moved over from player to media person, what was what was that balance like for you? Because it never feels like it's a very you know cut off one and then you go to the other. It always seems like there's an overlay. Like what was that transition like for you?
1: Well, I think you find yourself, for example, like at drink ups talking, um, like like, educating people, you know, instead of, like, when you are just a player, you can talk about the hit or this, you know, the player, you know, connects like that, but then when you have this next level knowledge and you realize that that's a huge barrier, I guess, like, towards growth, like, people just not understanding what's happening, whether it's in the next state, the next region, the country, and you're just perpetually, like, fueled to educate that, you know, that president or that match secretary or... You know, whomever, whenever you get a chance to talk to them face to face, because you know that the more that people understand, the more about the country. Like, you know, we'll be more connected. We'll share more information. So, I think in that regard, um, getting into the media and melding that with the whole like still being a player, it definitely changed some of my casual conversations with people face to face. Because you just feel like you always feel compelled to, uh, you know, educate people without sounding. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're just like it's like I've I've received all this knowledge, but how do I tell you without coming off like a know it all? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you no,
0: know, and and I, I can see that. Like again, you know, I've always found that you know once once you I've started taking in all this information, and like you said, you you start wanting to say okay instead of it. Let's being about oh, what did we do this weekend or oh, let's go out and do this. It's like man, we we got like some real, you know, there's some issues or obstacles or there's this exciting thing that I'm seeing. Like, did you guys know this and this and this and this and people kind of look at you weird? Did you, especially in an area like New York where, you know, you guys have such a encompassing amount of rugby, did you feel like there was maybe, was well, let me, re- let me state the question. Was was there kind of um, a, a dichotomy difference in what you felt uh what you kind of felt with the uh, the players versus what you felt with this greater knowledge so what I mean and saying it better being able to play and being able to see these things differently um what what did the interaction with your play the players your teammates end up being like did you did you feel like they they were more opportune to be able to take in information or
1: uh, yes and no, because I think when you're in a team, you know, that they've got so many other concerns going on, you know, who's starting, you know, these connections, blah, 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 And, like, sure, you can sit down and talk about some of that, but really, that was kind of shared amongst the, you know, like, the leaders, the board, like, I think they were pretty educated on a, you know, day-to-day basis, weren't like, mm-hmm. really talking bigger issue. But um, they kind of knew where, that they could always come to me if they did have a question. Um, and at the very least, you know, I could connect people. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, you indulge that too much and they start walking away from you. At the, like, <laughs> here comes Jackie with her diatribe. So you got to balance that a little bit.
0: <laughs> what was one of the most revealing things that you found out, that you discovered um, whenever you, you started accessing that that administrative information, like whenever you started researching more rather than just being a participant, like what was one of the most um, surprising discoveries that you, you found for yourself or revelations that you found for yourself?
1: Well, I guess kind of in the same regard of you know, when you're on your team and it is very insular and you're focusing on like just you the fact that I am all day every day On different websites for different teams and different leagues and this is not you know major revelation is like how much you know you do neglect the people who are trying to learn about you and how easy it is to just you know update your schedule or your contacts I was just really surprised that um, clubs weren't doing the super easy things to you know promote themselves or you know to be known and I mean, a little bit is that a professional like frustration, um, but yeah, it was just you know it's something I always harp on. That's <laughs> not it's totally interesting. <laughs> no, it, but it,
0: it's true though. Like even even for me, I remember the the reason one of the the, the things that had caught me whenever I switched over was you know I'd go through and I'd I look at everybody's Facebook pages and initially I'd look at everybody's website. And you'd find so many sites that were just not updated, all right, and let alone let's say schedule you know, is is one thing, but it was like history. It was like you know what was what did you guys do the last few seasons? Like what is the 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 ideas that I can create an emotional connection with your team? I can't find it because everything is either very surface and by surface I mean a year and a half old or <laughs> you know it was you know just you know we're looking at just oh this is where our field is and you know you can come play and we practice on this day and then you know that's about it um, you know when it, when it came to when it came to looking at it from, from, from a communication standard you know, did you, feel, did you find yourself feeling compelled to, you know, try and interact with these teams to educate them on how to be more uh, accommodating, I guess to say the least?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think with the exception of my own club, I won't necessarily tell an individual club, you know, if it takes me... In- like an inordinate amount of time to contact someone I might say like you might want to update your contact list but you know sometimes in articles or you know you write that top five like must do for your you know social media presence or you know website presence and that's always obviously one of them The current but uh it kind of seems like a no-brainer too (laughs) right
0: (laughs) oh that makes sense um so You you know, one of the things, so I'll put it like this, you know, uh, it was about two years ago that I I found out who you were, Um, you know, again, when I did my initial sweep, it was uh, Rugby Mag, you know, now Rugby Today, uh, and... I think it was this is American Rugby and then uh, a rugby life with, with Headley Legrand. I'd only seen those three sites going on and and for me, you know, there was always there's always that missing hole in the entrepreneur inside of me always is like, oh, what's this this little piece here and whatnot. So then two years ago, whenever I heard found out about you, it was like I had been outside of this huge gaping hole. That all of a sudden I entered in, and I'm like, everybody knows who Jackie Finlan is. <laughs> like, this is how did I not who this was, know who this was? And you know, uh, you know, in that process, like, when you joined Rugby Mag, what was the networking process for you? Like that name consistency, because like I said, it seems like it was almost as synonymous, and from my perspective, as saying, oh, do you know what USA Rugby is? You play rugby and you know what USA Rugby It's, you know rugby, oh, you know who Jackie is, and, and go. So what, what was that process once you entered into that Rugby Mag field?
1: Well, I think still the women's rugby community is pretty close-knit. Um, so once you, I mean, it didn't take long I think to really talk to everybody or a lot of people you know and you continue to do that but really there was there's like me and Wendy Young at your Scrum Hub Connection who right. were doing it consistently so when you have two people <laughs> it's you know it's pretty easy to know who to go to um, but yeah I was also the people I worked with were you know really embedded in the community so that always helps obviously at Haggerty and Alex Goff and then later Pat Clifton you know those are people who are in every segment of the game, in every you know different areas of the country. So, whenever we'd go to events, you know that's a whole other layer of people I would get to meet. And yeah.
0: You know, you you guys between you, Goff and and Pat, you know, I I feel like it's very underestimated, even if if people realize the name Rugby Mag, but. It's it was a very underestimated group because the amount of articles that you guys are able to churn out and put out, even in your own individual instances, is is amazing considering where rugby is right now. You know what? Without without saying what has what what's that? Whenever it comes to you guys, to you personally, you know, even now, being able to say, all right, I'm able to gather this information from literally across the country. We're talking. 50 states, you know, one uh, uh, commonwealth, and just being able to just drag this out quickly without feeling that overwhelmed nature of, am I missing anything?
1: Well, I think you always feel overwhelmed because there's no possible way. Because you know that there is no way, you know, one person can cover everything and do it well. But I think, you know, like anything, you can take that overwhelmed sensation and just kind of use it as energy, you know, the, to just keep chasing and keep writing. Um, but I think it's a, it's a perpetual process of trying to figure out how to, knowing you can't cover it all, how can you possibly attempt to touch every corner, you know, like not overlook something. Um, so, I can't say I necessarily have figured it out. <laughs> I just... Keep
0: trying to catch up. <laughs> yeah, fake, fake it, fake it very well. As, as long as it keeps showing, right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, um, within within, like you said, you mentioned within the the women's rugby uh, uh, field. You know, there's there's always a very limited. I I think it was really the ones that came up to mind was, you know, Wendy Young with uh, Scrum Half Connection. It was you with the Rugby Breakdown. And it was uh the the ladies in England uh with Scrum Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, whenever you have this niche this this group of people, like, what is it that you're seeing within women's rugby that I mean, outside of the obvious obstacles, that seems to be ignored by the mass public. Like, take away the, the money situation, but um, what is it that you're seeing in women's rugby that, that, needs to, that feels like it needs to just kind of get that little trigger turnover to be able to maybe get more of the respect that it's, it's well-deserved?
1: Well, I think that's a, a multi-tiered question there. And when I think about those things, I think about what my role could be in it in terms of the answer. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's the whole reason behind the Rugby Breakdown. It's just getting information out there. So while we might have complaints that XYZ, you know, doesn't cover women's rugby or it's not getting the press it deserves, like, the Rugby Breakdown is giving it that press. You Mm -hmm. know, so that's what... That's what I focus on. Like, at some point, um, someone's going to have a question, or they're going to want to learn about something. And I've had, you know, a ton of, you know, a, a ton of different outlets from different sports all over just kind of shoot me an email and be like, "Well, it sounds like you, you know, you know what you're talking about." And if I can be a resource until more things change, um, then that's you know, that's how I see my role in this like huge issue and like equity in women's sports and <laughs> kind of, yeah brand. No. no
0: that's awesome like when did you realize like when did you because obviously at the beginning of your career you you kind of were just like oh it's rugby i get to write and do rugby media this is awesome but when did it get that moment when you were like okay this is this is my this is my purpose like when 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 was that moment what was that moment for you
1: Um, Well, I actually had always, you know, gravitated toward women's rugby, obviously, Um, but when I was at Rugby Mag with Alex Goff, you know, he was always pushing me, like, you know, do the men's stuff too, I should do the women's stuff, we should share this kind of thing, and I, you know, I always just kind of leaned toward the women's Mm -hmm. side, Um, and then when we left, and we, you know, I joined him at Goff Rugby, it really did become, he did the men, I did the women. And then, you know, I was 35 years old, got to a point where I was like, okay, I think I can, you know, I just wanted to do something on my own and, like, have it be me. And um, so it was like a totally, you know, fine parting, and I just wanted to see, I wanted to see if I could do it, and I also wanted to see what a totally U.S.-focused women's site would look like. Because there was a lot of, at that time, a lot of questions as to whether it could be sustained, if there'd be enough interest. Um, and I was like, well, there's one good way to answer that question and that's to just go
0: and do it and, you know, test it that way. And, you know, uh, was, has, has business been a a facilitation, has been a a part of your, your biology in any way, or was this kind of like the first instance that you were like, this is my baby, this is like my business. And, you know, I'm just, I'm winging it at this point, or did you kind of have an idea going in?
1: Uh, a little bit. I mean, this is definitely my first, what I'd consider baby, um, and but you know, through all the other entities that you know I, I had worked for, there is always you know it's small staff, so you do a little bit of everything from designing ads to soliciting advertisers and you know a lot of design stuff. So it certainly had some insight, mm-hmm. but.
0: I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, isn't that the, the fun of the business. You know, it, it makes you keep constantly keeping you challenged in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, you know, for me, I I've, when it came to women's rugby, and I, a lot of this realization came to me this last year and a half, probably about the end of 2015. You know, I I'm looking at the environment as to what rugby has, and I I felt there's three things that rugby has an advantage of. It's one, it, it, it's because it's a I, I use the term loosely, young sport in terms of actual uh, development. Um, it it has the ability to kind of be creative in whatever way it wants to. Uh, uh, you know, if, if it if it you know if it grew within a digital scape, it would be able to completely earn its its role there because it's not an area that's very well tapped into uh... the other thing was that i felt that the the Equitability that comes with the play of women's and men's rugby has been a hu- is a huge advantage over other sports because in any other sport you either there's always some kind of separation that goes between the women's and the men's side whether it's rule change whether it's uh, uniform whether it's uh, culture there's always something that just says oh well this is the WNBA and this is the NBA what's different well they can't dunk over here but you know you can do it here or you know it's it's hockey. And- It's whatever. There's always something that's there. But when it comes to rugby, it's the same across the board. The only thing that changes is the gender. All right. Um, And then the third part was that you have a global, an established global entity that is already all encompassing on all these controversial issue so there's not an issue of well is there a gender is there different genders in coaching well rugby already has shown that women can coach men men coach women boom you have that you have that in referees women more so now women refing men's games high level men's games at that too versus uh, and men doing it such and such and you see the crossover and you have this established global entity but for me, it's always been what you can do within the women's sport. Like, there's the market that's there for the women. And I felt like rugby has done a very, and in general, has done a very poor job in really outrageously marketing the women's side. You know, uh, for you, whenever you see how they present it, what is, what is, what is the takeaway that you st- kind of get whenever you see how whether rugby in the US or world rugby presents the women's game
1: I mean it's definitely frustrating um, because you see it at every event every like and I mean there are incremental you know there are in- incremental improvements but you are just kind of you feel a little like battered by some of the, you know, the inequality there, but um, I don't really know what to say. I, I will say that, uh, I don't know if you read the the board minutes from the last, like, USA Rugby Congress thing, and I yeah. was pleasantly surprised to read about the, um, you know, the 2018 World Cup seventh in San Francisco, where it appeared that they really had to battle with world rugby to have it go like men women men women and not just like women in the morning men in the afternoon you know like they wanted to integrate it so that it got more uh, more visibility so you know those those kind of things make you a little bit more hopeful but then there are other things where you know the usa women played canada in chula vista for you know two games in a week and the first game wasn't open to the public. Right. And I mean I asked them they said it was more of a facility issue but still it's, you know,
0: it's, it's a national only-
1: game. Yeah, it's the only two tests before they go to Ireland and, you know, it wasn't open to the public. So I don't know, it's just really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> Always <laughs>
0: No, and 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 that's the thing. i i've I've always felt that with with rugby, like whenever you see a separation within the two gender sides, it's very odd to me because the issue still is the same problem across the board for both sides. like you're if you're giving more, you know time to the men, well, in my opinion, well, you're still not getting very much because you're not seeing the. Maybe you're seeing a little bit of uh, of growth in terms of maybe adult play here and there, and some in youth. But when it comes to casual fandom, like that's the point where it's like you're you're not actually accessing new people. You're just kind of rotating this hamster wheel. So whenever you're separating the women's side, it's like you, you you're you're running with half of your your leg and your arm tied behind your back. And so uh, I've always wondered, you know, from from those who have more experience within within the area, you know, what it always seems like to 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 those who've known like why what what seems to be this constant why that there's this separation that they have knowing that you're in a niche sport, you're niching a niche sport.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't pretend to know the answer why it's separated, I assume. It has something to do with money and, like, where the money is appropriated. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of like, they used to do, They I think a couple summers ago when France came out here, they doubled up with, like, the men's and women's game. Like, the women played first, and then the men came on and kind of, like, combined that. So if there is that fear that, um, you know, the women couldn't sustain a bigger venue, like, that's an intermediate solution and um it does pair it brings like the men and women together so you have that full body exposure like you were saying um i don't know i think we had there's just a lot of funding and money issues behind that too yeah
0: you know and and look you you had the opportunity of working with a company that has for what it's worth shown that they at least have been able to eventually get to some kind of success in in rugby with United World Sports. Did has working with those guys given you kind of an insight into what is capable of working versus what might not be so hot? Because USA Sevens and yeah, to some smaller extent the CRCs have been relatively uh, at least critically successful, and uh, you know USA Sevens is slowly becoming more financially successful. You know, seeing that that those mindsets, where have you been able to? What have you been able to absorb from them?
1: Well, um, I definitely think USA Sevens is a successful event, um, and I enjoy it. But I mean, you know, the the women there they haven't had. They were added this year because um, you had three entities there taking on the cost. So it was Mad World Sports, World Rugby, and USA Rugby that all got together to. Pay for the women, to, you know, be in the stadium and have that added stop there, or to have the stop relocate there. Um, but it's been, you know, pretty difficult in the past. Like there's been this elite international sevens, you know, part of the LVI, but you had national team women playing there, and they were playing out on, you know, the silver bowl fields, which you know was like dusty and it's not suitable for a national team. Um, and it's you know it's been difficult for them to get into this stadium. There is money value attached to it, and you know that's what they used to rely on as part of their argument as to why there wasn't a bigger presence in the stadium. So um, it's been that overall, I'm grateful to have been part of that organization. So you really can see into those bigger events, but you know it took some. Keep
0: pulling to get the women of bigger presence there. No, yeah. oh, I no, I that, and that that again, you know, that makes sense. We see these these encompassing things, and I sometimes I wonder if it's just a matter of just a natural perspective. Like um, you know, whenever we were trying to put stuff together, like when we went to Atlanta, when Atlanta Sevens was happening, obviously the the last couple years. Um, I remember me and then occasionally you know one of my staff. They would, they we would go there, and we'd literally be probably about the only, you know, media people that were at Atlanta Sevens, and it really threw me off because when I got there, I was like, uh, "This play is really high quality. Like, I'm pretty confident there's a strong 85% of the guys, maybe even within the national level, that might not be able to compete in this because." they are so fast and strong talking to the women from New Zealand and US and uh, France and England and it's just like you you see the quality so i don't feel like there's that as an issue but it always seems like there's something just just missing it's just that little bit that always seems to be missing and i never it didn't it doesn't make sense it never made sense to me
1: what what do you mean what was missing?
0: Well that's exactly it. It was you you have a you have like all right, whenever you we talk about maybe say when people bring up professional rugby. Alright, so usually what I've always found when people bring up professional rugby, they'll say, Well, one, you know, we get paid players so then we can get higher quality of play, which isn't necessarily always accurate. The other part is that you get proper venue. Well, when it came to Atlanta Sevens, Kennesaw State was a gorgeous venue. Like for what it's worth, it's it's a really gorgeous soccer stadium uh, that that they have there. Atlanta, while I don't necessarily agree that it's the best sports town in the world, but again, the Louisiana in me is slightly petty towards that place. Uh, I I think that it's a city, it's a metropolitan city that is a top market. So it it wasn't a matter of population. And then the other part has always been quality. Well, it's a national side. You know that for the most part, if you're going to say cream of the crop, the top four teams, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and uh, England, you'll always be sure that they're going to bring their best. You, whether it's a Portia Woodman, whether it's uh, uh, uh Charlotte Catholic, whether it's any of them, you, you, you know they're going to be bringing their best. So you know you're going to get good play. But yet, every time we would go, it would be... A very paisley response
1: oh so what's missing in terms of making that event a success
0: exactly you know it, it was it was what what seems to be not catching because for what it's worth you have the ingredients there for success
1: yeah i think it's well i mean the usa sevens is um like a private company so they have they're not you know they have different um, um. They have more at their uh, disposal, you know, to promote an event. Mm -hmm. And I think also, you know, people have to... They would have to, like, choose, basically, between Las Vegas and Atlanta. And, you know, it would have taken a big response from the women's community to be like, you know, support this event. You know, we might lose it. And, you know, USA 7s is a spectacle. It's hard to say no to it sometimes. You know, if you had to pick...
0: Between the two, yeah, because they're yeah they're usually about a, a month and a half between themselves. Um, you know, one one opinion that I had with uh, 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 one of one of my friends is you know was the nature of accountability. We, we 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 were talking about it and we were asking, does the rugby community? Well, the rugby community definitely always wants growth, obviously, but there's a certain level there's a certain level that you can only get to before you have to start creating accountability from the club level the college level um even at the the high school and under the u19 and under level i we always talk about the perception that is being created is is there a a a business aspect that you're providing to your club team so um, whether it's, hey, we are going to sell XYZ or we are going to charge ABC, you know, things that would naturally create a, a, an inclination that says we want to take it up one. And we felt that, you know, there is this fear of accountability that might be present in the rugby community, um, men and women. Do you, for you, do you, do you, have any sense or do you think that you know maybe it's just there's just that natural organic this is part of the natural organic rise that you know you know where we're at right now is just kind of part of that process
1: I mean, do you mean in relation to
0: the the former Atlanta 7s? Oh no no no! This is just disconnecting from Atlanta Seven. I'm sorry. I'm um, talking in terms of, of where we're talking in rugby in general. Like we're talking club rugby, college rugby, youth rugby, um, and and then what you can find as examples. I like that you have cats too. I got two of them as and well. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the interview. Yep.
0: Yep. <laughs> I got these two that have been trying to do jump in. I'm, like, slowly patting them away each time. Um, but what I'm saying is that, you know, what you see in USA 7s for me, and uh, consider me a bit of a, a rugby libertarian in this. Uh, because it's a private organization, uh, and like you said, it has a little bit more room to be able to maneuver, it has done the steps that it needs to to create what would be illicit value. Uh, essentially, entertainment value it is you know they charge there's exclusivity there is at least for what it's worth some emotional rise that goes to it um it is purposed where you know p- there's a reason that people go and they wanna continue to go to it each time and then obviously, when you get there, it's a party, it's play you know whatever the rest of it that you find for rugby so for me I look at that and I say why are you not replicating that across the board you know even Atlanta sevens even though it didn't have the same turnout it still replicates that same kind of or at least attempts to replicate to some extent that same kinda element but whenever it comes to the lower ends of rugby where we are constantly harping on why we need to be better and why we need to get more and you're starting to push amateurism the things the steps that are necessary to take it to the next level don't seem to be there. And it's almost a wonder of as much as you say you want to be more, is there a fear of what that more can be?
1: I mean, maybe well to the USA Sevens, like, that is their with the exception, you know, there's the CRC and Varsity Cup or whatever they else they do, like that's their full time job all year round. And their number one goal is, you know, to make money and be able to do it the next year. And they do all these other things, you know, like the adopt a country to get into, you know, they do a lot of other things, but their goal is they need to turn a profit so they can do it again next year. Whereas, you know, USA Rugby has a lot of different goals. or You know, they have a lot of different objectives. But, I mean, if you were to take that entity and tell them, okay, make you know, your one goal is to make all, like, sell out all the USA, uh, USA Eagle tests, you know, they probably do a really good job, but they've just got, I think, I don't think it's necessarily fair, like, to take a, like, a private entity and their singular goal and, like, try to overlay that on top of, like, an NGO. Um, they're kind of two different
0: things. Right yeah no and, and that makes sense again this is the rugby libertarian that comes out of me where I, I see these these aspects and I always it, it always comes back whenever you, we have arguments and when people have arguments and I know you see them on Facebook and, and Twitter and uh, maybe not so much Instagram but we, it, you, you'll see them uh, pop up from time to time and it always comes back to is what is USA Rugby doing to insert whatever random problem someone wants to have um but for me, it's always been, well, as a club, and, and again, we're ta- now I'm talking at the, at the lower levels, not the national levels. As a club, you have an illicit responsibility to show value to your club. So if you're saying, oh, man, we want to be able to travel more. We want to have a little bit more autonomy over what our schedule is. Why can't this and this happen? Well, for me, I say, well, what are you doing to make your club and your product, is essentially what your play is, better for more people to come in? Well, if you want more people who are more youth rugby people, well, why are you not trying to sell tickets to come to your event where you can mess with the values of it and say, hey, this means this, and now people have a actual, real, tangible you know, value that goes to your play on the field, so... Hey, we can bring in more kids. We can travel places. You know, we can do extra. Um, same thing goes with college. It's it's or you know what people always say. Oh, why are we not able to connect with the university? The university doesn't want to give us respect. Well, what are you doing to create a value that the university has to actually see? It's almost like the the mission statement always seems to be. Well, if I play a lot. People will come. It's the field of dreams effect. Like if you play, that if you play it, they will come. And it's like I don't know if that's necessarily true. You know, for you, you know, seeing it from all the levels because you have to follow all the levels of rugby. You know, do you feel? And, and that's why I go back to accountability. Do you feel like there might be an illicit fear within the rugby community that if you take this next step, that you know maybe the changes might not be what they want. There might be a, a fear of losing that, that special little core entity that makes up rugby.
1: Um, I think maybe if you're talking about, you know, when you were on that cusp of talking about, say, like, varsity colleges and club colleges, you know, there was a little bit of that, oh, you know, we don't want to lose that social edge to, you know, to the team. But I think generally speaking, When it gets to that point where, you know, a college is trying to afford that trip to nationals, now they have to fundraise like crazy, super stressful. That is kind of more impressive than the fear of taking the next step. Like, I think the what a lot of clubs and teams need, they just need someone with some perspective, someone who's older, someone who can look five, ten years down the road and say, You know, we need to set up this, you know, endowment. We need to think beyond our next championship fundraiser, you know. Um, And so I don't think it's some kind of fear that is, you know, keep like holding clubs back or holding teams back from developing and taking the next step. It's just a layer of leadership that has, that won't cycle out in four years or like who didn't just become president for their senior year. Um, And I think. You know there are a lot of you know leagues and teams that are lacking another level of management that could you know they could provide that insight and um, yeah so I don't yeah I don't really think it's a fear holding people back.
0: back. I think that makes sense. Um you know kind of last question you know obviously like I said you you in my opinion you you are probably one of the premier writers that are here in the, the country when it comes to rugby, and probably one of the more knowledgeable ones that are here. Um, I, I think what you do is, is amazing. What What is the next step? What is, what is that goal? What is the level that... What is the goal that you are aiming for next that says, alright, this is the marker that we need to achieve here for the rugby breakdown, for Jackie Finland, for uh, what we need to do with women's rugby. Like, what is that next marker for you?
1: I, the one thing I would really love to have is a cadre of writers, um, female writers who, because I, you know, as we were talking earlier about workload, you know, you do your best, but people who are like in their regions who know what's going on, who have a voice, and can really speak intelligently about what's happening in and around their community, I would love to manage the staff of female writers who would contribute and just really build this thing into, instead of just being my voice, because how boring does that get, uh, <clears throat> like, you know, have a lot of different female voices talking about their sport in their region and just, you know, further connecting, you know, the community out there to
0: Educated and grow. <laughs> oh, and that's awesome, and uh, I I can definitely agree with that. Hey, uh, Jackie, I, I appreciate this so much. How do you feel about this? How do you feel on on being on the other side?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, pretty good. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm typically not great on my feet, but this is good practice. And I'm sorry also for the fire trucks now going through the
0: back. <laughs> it's okay. It, it shows that you live in life. All right, you don't need all this quietness <laughs> around. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you so much. See what I'm saying? It doesn't matter the timing. Just a great story, great diligence, and great forward thinking. And a lot of the things that she was talking about, she's kind of already made into fruition. Now she's got the subscription. Uh, she's got the subscription um, uh, model. Going on for her articles, She's definitely well worth the support She's been using part of her Subscription She's been using her subscription fees Last month to be able to support uh, uh, Social justice movements And trying to be able to make a change And that's a person that They want to be doing the right thing Not just because it's rugby Or not just doing it because it's trendy, but doing it because they genuinely need it, and she's a genuine person all the way through. It was really great being able to talk to her at that time, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Again, check out our website, uh, uh, therugbybreakdown.com. and uh, yo, it's, it's I want to thank everybody for listening. Guys, you guys can always check us out on uh, all the, if you're listening to it on Anchor, you can check it out Spotify, Apple, whatever. Uh, we'll have the video up on YouTube at youtube.com slash gift time rugby network. And uh, you can see the full video itself of this uh, interview if you like to see the visual as much as you like to hear it. And, um, guys, yo, this was great. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you stay amazing. And don't forget, I hope you stay happy. I hope you stay healthy and let you know that you are highly favored. Talk to you later.